Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Jade Third Eye podcast series, where we talk about all things related to your AML-CFT program, including regulatory change, technology, and expert advice. In this podcast, we'll get some great advice from Martin Dilling. Martin is an AML auditor, advisor, and expert who's consulted full-time as an AML-CFT specialist since 2012. So listen as Martin talks about regulatory reporting requirements and what he sees as the biggest risks and common problems when it comes to detecting and submitting reports for transactions and suspicious activity. Martin gives some great advice about red flags to look out for and the potential of technology to help. What do you typically see in your work with reporting entities in this area that you think you know points to some of the biggest risks that, that reporting entities have? What kinds of problems do you tend to see or advice are you often giving to the entities that you work with? Yeah, look, I think if you're thinking about your biggest risk for AML, you'd have to be putting um, the failure to report suspicious activity in there as one of the top ones. Uh, it certainly carries one of the highest penalties under the Act. Uh, for individuals, that can be up to uh, two years in prison. There's also fines for individuals up to 300,000, entities up to 5 million. So th it's quite a serious piece. And you can see because it's so important that the police are getting these good quality reports, a failure to do it is, is a very serious breach. We've seen that in the cases that the DIA have taken in New Zealand. So they've one of the key things they always go for is a failure to report suspicious activity. But if you look at the cases in Australia, the Westpac case was picked up um, more so on the IFTI and TTR side. Failures in systems there where um, I think about 19.5 million IFTIs were missed and 175,000 TTRs were missed by Westpac. Now, they ended up receiving a $1.3 billion fine, uh, which is by far and away the largest fine in Australia. So that gives you some sense as to how serious the reporting is taken. The, the biggest risks they, the entities have here is a, a really a lack of clear process and controls around the different stages of reporting. For suspicious activity reporting, that really breaks down into detection. So how are you going, how are you, are you detecting um, these? your investigation stage. So what happens once it gets escalated? How do you determine whether or not it's suspicious? And then your disposition. So once you make a decision as to whether or not you need to file, how do you do that? How do you close off the alert? Do you need to mark for any additional follow-up for, um, for the customer? So looking at detection, that'd be things around, if you are run, running a set of monitoring rules and parameters, how are they relevant? So how can you demonstrate that they are meeting the risks for your business? So can you tie those back to your risk assessment? Can you tie those back to the sector risk and the key red flags that have been identified for your sector? Are the staff aware of red flags? So have the staff been trained? Is there a clear process for a staff member to escalate a red flag through to the relevant compliance team, for example? Sometimes that's something that's just not detailed, it might say, yes, you have to contact the compliance officer. Well, do I go and tap them on the shoulder? Do I email them? Is there a form? Where there is a lack of defined process, that's where you can really start to have some problems because staff, if it becomes too hard, then staff just won't do it. I think on the detection side for PTRs, I think this is one where I saw a lot of it with audits last year, but are you able to detect where you're receiving and making international funds transfers? Uh, some of the challenges with the information that entities will, might receive from their own banks, 
sometimes it's unclear uh, whether there actually has been such a transfer, and if there has been, whether that includes enough information for them to complete the PTRs. So there's always a challenge there. In terms of investigation, you know, the key thing is keeping your record. So once it was escalated, once you detected this issue, how did you go about investigating? What steps were taken? Have you maintained rec clear records for your auditor or your supervisor to review when they come through to make sure that, look, yep, we we can see how you work through this and we can uh, look we can see that you've taken a reasonable steps to to work through this um of course with a with your p with your ptrs there's not really an investigation stage and we'll touch on this a little bit more later if a ptr occurs if it meets one of the thresholds if it's a wire transfer over a thousand dollars if it's a cash transaction over ten thousand then that's a report there's no investigation uh the last one disposition is the case closed? So have you you've completed your investigation? Are you closing it and not filing it? You need to document if you are filing. Um, have you done so and closed it off? Have you marked a often I will see someone say, you know, we're not going to file now, but we're going to continue to monitor the customer. But what does that mean? Because often they don't have a process to mark a customer as being monitored in the system or they're, they're not using a system that allows you to use a watch list. So there's all these types of things that um, you see just gaps sneak in on where they're just, it's that, and it's the process as you move from detection to investigation and disposition, often it can be a very manual process and entity. So information drops away, things drop off, they get lost. Um, and sort of sitting all over that is just that timeliness and urgency around this reporting. Of course, once you determine that there is a Suspicion, you, you have three days to file your suspicious activity report uh, with the FIU. With PTRs, you've got 10 working days to, to file your PTRs. But those, those timeframes are there for a reason. It is The information is more useful um, when it's timely. As it gets further away from it, it's less useful for the police. So that's why they want you to get those reports through. If you don't have the right amount of resource and focus in the entity on making sure you're able to meet those timeframes, that's when you can get into trouble as well. I think the key thing that I, I see is where someone's using a dedicated transaction monitoring system is that flow of information between those different stages is a lot more complete and you're less likely to have sort of drop off. So once the alert is triggered in the system, it's in the system until someone goes through and deals with it. So from an audit perspective, when I go in, I always feel better when I know they've got a system and I can sit down and, go and say, give me access to the system and I can, we, let's step through and I can have a look at each alert as it's triggered through to when it's, whether the decision is made to escalate or, or otherwise. So everything in one place, um, all the records in one place, I'm not worrying about different spreadsheets and is it on someone else's spreadsheet? Was that spreadsheet from last month? Did the things from last month come over to this month? Uh, look, that's These are all the sort of things that, I um, really appreciate when I see them there. And once again, once you get to a certain size, I think these things are you know, really, really valuable. Great, thank you so much for all of your advice today. It was great talking with you. Thanks, Ashley.